from Beacon Point, this is Dollars and Cents, a really great podcast about money. Co-host and certified financial planners, Kobe Cress and Karen Reifel, help listeners navigate various life moments and major life events through the lens of personal finance. Contrary to popular belief, these money conversations are not boring. Prepare to be informed and entertained. Beacon Point podcasts contain opinions of Beacon Point and are subject to change. This is not a recommendation to buy or sell any securities. And the listener should understand that investing includes risks, such as risk of investments and principal. Please contact your Beacon Point advisor if you have any questions. Welcome back to another episode of Dollars and Cents, a really great podcast about money. I'm Kobe Cress, and as listeners will know out there, with me as always is Karen Rifel. Hey, Karen, how are you? I'm great, Kobe. How are you? You look different, maybe uh, more fatherly. Is is that a thing? Why is that, Kobe? I think it might be that I have a little bit more gray hair, and that's what you're referring to. But it also could be uh, that since the last episode was recorded, maybe not released, but recorded, um, I've had another baby. Uh, so. Emmett Cress was born happy and healthy, and it's actually been uh, a number of weeks now, but that will play right into our topic for today's conversation. And you're right, I'm feeling a little more fatherly. I'm the father of two under two. I'm also feeling a little more tired, and I, I do have a little bit more gray hair, I think. So a lot of great things happening over at the Cress household. Oh, that's so exciting, Kobe. I'm just, I'm so happy for you both. And, and a boy dad, I'm a boy mom. And it's, I'll tell you, being able to say a father to two under two, you won't get to say for too long. Pretty soon you'll say, I have a three and a four-year-old, you know, <laughs> that's, where, that's where we're at. But it only gets, they say this, that it only gets, it's great now and it will only get better. So well, enjoy the ride, my friend. Well, as a father of two boys, just like you as a mother of two boys, um, the roughhousing has started already. Now, Emmett does not oh. have much say in it, uh, but anytime <laughs> Emmett is on the ground, Kingston likes to crawl on top of him to what appears to be both a snuggle or a stranglehold. We're not sure. Uh, we usually have to spring into action and uh, and separate the two. So Emmett, Emmett didn't start this, but there is roughhousing going on already. So I think it is probably a sign of things to come. I think that's called cute aggression. Is that what is that what they call it, right? When, you know, yes. Kingston just thinks he's so cute when he wants to squeeze him, you know? That's right. Yes, yes, that is actually... Emmett is not a big fan of the squeezing, uh, but Kingston, I think you're right. Uh, cute aggression is a good is a good name for it. But he is cute, uh, and he's a very good baby, and uh, I am married to Superwoman, so my wife has been amazing, incredible once again, and uh, it is a, a special time here at the Kress household. And like I said, it plays perfectly into the topic that we're going to talk about today. Uh, Karen, so give us an overview. What are we talking about today? Yeah. So um, listeners, you may have caught my um, accidental slip of my baby voice, how I speak to little kids. Um, I will try not to do that through the rest of the, the episode, but we are talking about having a baby, planning for parenthood. And we had a little fun with this. We reached out to our advisor teams that, you know, vary in, in in age, some that have not had children yet, others that have had children for many years, and got a little feedback on what they would like to hear or what they think would benefit our listeners the most. And so without question, the most requested topic was how much does it cost? Specifically, child care. What are the options and how much is it going to cost? And so we'll definitely cover the major child care options available and generally what it costs. And then we're going to share with you listeners 
some things to do before having a baby, some planning steps that you can take before having a baby, things you might consider after having baby. And then at the end, Kobe and I are going to share our best advice as parents. And we we get it. Unsolicited baby advice is the worst, but um, you know this is a podcast and we expect listeners are tuning in for our thoughts, um, but we'll keep it at the end. For those that want to tune out beforehand, we will let you know when the unsolicited advice is headed your way. Before we dive into the actual topic of today, though, a quick reminder to everybody out there, we do uh, love when you send questions and we do our best to create episodes that answer the questions that you asked. As an example, the number one question we received recently was, how much does it cost when you have a baby? Hence today's episode. So if you do have questions for us, please send those to info at getthesense.com. That's info at getthesense.com. Again, if there's any topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the podcast, send it to info at getthesense.com. Uh, and if you like these episodes, please like and subscribe and tell others about it uh, at, so that we can spread the word and uh, spread the advice. So uh, Karen, let's dive in. So number one, how much does childcare cost when you're having a baby? So um, I made a similar comment once during a television interview and my friends have never let me live it down. Um, they say it was, thanks, Captain Obvious is what they tell me, but I'll say it again. Babies are expensive. Uh, far and away, the biggest question again is just kind of how much is childcare. So um, we're going to break down the primary forms of childcare and what they might cost. The first one, and naturally the most economical choice, um, as most loved ones accept payment in the form of hugs and not cash money, is loved ones, of course. So if you make arrangements um, for, uh, you know, grandma, grandpa, aunt uncle, um, godfather, godmother, um, to provide care needs for your loved one. This is just, you know, a no brainer. If you got someone that has the time and, you know, the willingness to pitch in, um, it's the most wallet friendly option for those that, you know, um, don't have full care arrangements by loved ones. Um, you know, the other more common approach to childcare is a daycare option. Um, it is particularly attractive for working parents. It provides stability of care, consistency of care over the needed hours. Um, and, you know, daycare is going to cost, though, anywhere from 350 to 450 a week. Um, that the, the consideration with daycare is that most daycares want you to reserve a spot consistently for baby. Okay. So even if you don't have the care need every day, you might find yourself paying just for the security of care when you do need it. So, um, and, you know, in finding a daycare, our best recommendation is to talk to friends and family on, on local options and certainly set up tours beforehand so you can get a feel of the place and the environment you'll be paying, you know, your hard earned money for. And, um, again, look for something close to home or work, even if it is a little more, um, if it costs a little more, the convenience, particularly for working parents will be your friend. Uh, not only the convenience, but of course, what it, what will quickly become very precious family time. You don't want to spend a lot of that in the car to and from. A big consideration as well is timing. Um, do not wait until the week before you need to get your kid into daycare to put them to, to try to contact these daycares. In fact, in our area, at least, and maybe this is national or even worldwide, there is a joke that uh, the first call that you should make when you find out that you're pregnant is not to your spouse, but to a daycare. 
to see if you can get on the list. <laughs> so uh, just make sure you get well ahead of it because a lot of these daycares, this is a very popular option. Uh, there's a lot of need. There's not as much supply, to use a little economic term there. And so, uh, or a lot, I should say a lot of demand and not a lot of supply. Uh, so it's important to get well in, in front of it. So for those that are looking for care in the home who feel more comfortable having baby at home, and this may be for a short period of time or a longer duration, um, a nanny or an au pair are the two considerations for in-home care. Um, the primary difference between the two is that in exchange for slightly lower pay, an au pair actually lives with the family. So consider them to be more of a domestic assistant that is caring for the children um, and from a foreign country. Okay, so and duties of an au pair probably as living with a family um, are a little wider than that of the child care. Um, they'll do, you know, generally more housework than nannies um, and errands than, you know, uh, they'll do housework and errands that nannies, you know, might not do as much. Our resources for listeners to find a nanny or an au pair are care.com and eNanny Source. Great websites for providers. We personally used care.com and found our two beloved nannies, um, one of which, although we're past the nanny phase as our kids are in school, um, still comes to visit and we'll pick the kids up from school um, every once in a while, which is a nice surprise. You'd be surprised the people that you can love, you can find that will love on your, on your babies. Um, but, you know, when looking for these in-home providers, something to consider is obviously for the au pair, you want to make sure that you have the space um, and the privacy and the, the transportation for, you know, uh, another member of your family that will be living in your home. And you'll certainly want to interview both in person, right? Somebody that's going to be in your home and caring for baby. Spend some time, get to know the person. Your parental instincts will certainly kick in and you'll find someone that is a good fit. Um, the costs are... Um, as I mentioned, the au pair costs are going to run you about ten to fifteen dollars an hour. These are just averages, and in a nanny is going to be about seventeen to twenty five dollars an hour. Um, I think when we were first looking at this cost, we had had that twenty dollars, seventeen to twenty dollars an hour. But I personally know nannies just in our local area that are you know starting at twenty five, so it can be higher than that. But that's kind of an on average. It may be lower, it may be higher, depending on where you where you live. So I would say that. All in, you know, considering the four payment options that are not just for hugs, um, depending on the resource that best suits your needs the lo and, and, and the location, it'll be, you know, between twenty dollars and $40,000 a year. Okay, so that's a wrap on childcare options. Again, any questions at all, info at getthesense.com. Now, Kobe, let's move on to the second maybe the biggest consideration, financial consideration in having a child or a, a baby, which is housing considerations. What should listeners be thinking of when it relates to the home and baby? Very important topic. And um, as you mentioned, this section of our conversation, if you will, is really on things to consider before baby comes. Now, you may find yourself in a position where you have to reconsider this once baby comes, but this is uh, something that we are considering beforehand. And I think it ties very nicely into the childcare discussion, right? Because these go hand in hand. Um, and to use what is a cliche in real estate, when you're making these housing decisions uh, and thinking specifically about children, location, location, location is the first topic, okay? Um, and so when you're thinking about where you're gonna buy the home, here are some things to consider. Let's take a step back to what Karen just talked about. Who is going to help care for the kids? Um, that is going to drive 
a great deal of where you choose to live. Um, and this may not be the day-to-day care, right? It may be that one spouse is going to stay home with the children. And so you don't need a nanny per se, but you're probably still going to want to go on date night. You're probably still going to have things come up. You're probably going to have a cause to bring in somebody to care for your kids. If that person is going to be a relative, well, then you may want to consider a neighborhood that's close to a relative, right? These are easy considerations, but they're also easy to forget. So um, if family is going to be your number one support, well, then certainly make sure you live close enough to family that they're actually convenient to be able to help you. If you're going to use care.com or something like this, well, then maybe ahead of time, look and see if the area that you're looking at, there are plenty of um, nannies, babysitters, things like this on, let's say, care.com in your area, right? If you live in a more rural area, you might discover that your options are limited. Um, so these are this is a big consideration. Um, also, you need to you need to think out a little bit further and say, also, do we live in a school district that we want our kids to attend? Okay, um, it, it might be as simple as living in your neighborhood or living in the neighborhood just across the street, and that may change the school district you're in. In fact, I live on the border street for our school district, which is Scottsdale Unified, and um, a uh, different school district, which I think is Bowles School District, which is right on the other side of the street. Scottsdale Unified tends to be a more desirable school district, generally speaking, and so there's much more demand in our area, and a lot of parents choose to live just literally on this side of the street so that they can go to Scottsdale Unified School District. Big consideration. So we've talked location, location, location. Let's talk size. My wife and I are actually having these conversations right now, now that we have two children. And we think, you know, how many more kids could we have in this house and it still remain comfortable? We have a, a nice, comfortable size house. It's not a gigantic palatial estate and it is not a the townhome that we lived in before this house. It's nice squarely in the middle. But four kids might be the absolute limit in this house, right? So if, we, if we're going to have just four, well, then it might be okay. Uh, but if we're going to have more than four, and it may not be okay at four, actually, for a number of reasons. Um, in one of those reasons being my office that I'm sitting in right now would have to become a bedroom. Uh, and so that would be a consideration. However, this may seem obvious, but it's amazing how these types of things don't get considered. And you and I come across this very often, Karen, with clients. And all of a sudden, we're trying to scramble to find a solution because we just didn't think far enough ahead. Yeah. I mean, you bring up, you kind of allude to a topic we'll speak to later in the in the episode, which is, you know, when it comes to parenthood, I mean, I guess we could say in life, generally speaking, but man, when it comes to parenthood, we don't know what we don't no. And so even Kobe, I mean, you and your wife are doing the right thing, kind of thinking ahead to, you know, size of home and family planning, but you know, those two little boys could get bigger and your home could feel smaller really quick, too small for two. You could have a third and think four is, you know, just not possible in the home. So it, it will, your situation will evolve. And so there are certain things that you can do to maybe not uh, plan too definitively with so much uncertainty. Yeah. It's good to spend a little time early thinking ahead because opportunities may present themselves between now and child number four. And if we weren't thinking ahead, we may miss those opportunities. We may say, well, we're comfortable as is, where real realistically, we should have made a change earlier and now we're scrambling. So you're Not exactly to mention, thinking in general is easier before you have kids. Thinking <laughs> is easier and better before you have kids. I want you to... Amen. Having children is like trying to have being on hold 
for a telephone operator, you're listening to hold music and you're trying to have a conversation, a very important conversation. Otherwise you would have gone to the website like they always want you to do these days, but no, you had to make a phone call. Having a child is like being on hold, waiting for someone to speak, but you can't hear the hold music or someone to speak. So you're anxiety provoking. You've got kids yelling in the background, but you're trying to listen if the operator has come back to the phone to talk about this very important life admin thing you need to get done. Um, So yeah. Karen, it seems like something maybe happened at home this week (laughs) that has you uh, ready to, if you need to get it off your chest, we, me and the (laughs) listeners are here to listen. But I think that's a very good um, analogy because I think um, having children around is kind of like uh, being on hold and listening to whole music right when the Amazon delivery guy rings your doorbell and the dog starts barking the fire and, alarm goes off no, yes maybe the fire alarm goes off and at some point there's a suspicious noise you need to investigate um and you're doing all of that at once and it's very hard to pick which is the priority so you're right thinking can be difficult so it's better to give yourself plenty of time to make these decisions um and a big reason that that is important is because affordability is my last um topic on housing which is Um, while you're planning about location, 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 and size, 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 you also need to be thinking in terms of affordability. We are not very good at human beings at projecting or even taking good stock of how much we spend or how much we will spend in the future. This is very difficult. The amount of times I talk to folks and I say, well, you know, on average monthly, what do you think that you spend? And in fact, I, I rarely ask that question anymore because the answers I got were never seemingly accurate. And they say, I don't know, Kobe, we probably spend two or $3,000 a month. And I think, well, you're earning, you know, X number of dollars and you're saving just a fraction of that. And now you're telling me you're only spending a fraction of that. Where did the rest of it go? Uh, I'm thinking you're spending a lot more than you actually are. And that is usually the case. So when you're thinking in terms of, um, where you're going to live with your family and your new children. You need to think in terms of affordability, but you also need to project forward when considering that affordability and think about how expensive kids are, how that will be a strain on your budget in the best possible way, because children are wonderful. And make sure you don't get yourself out over your skis with it, whether it's your rent or your mortgage or the insurance for your rental or your house. Um, Karen, you always make a great point. I think it's very true. The mortgage company does not have any idea how much money you will make in the future. And so they're willing to give you a mortgage up to certain thresholds, whether you're realistically going to be able to pay for it or not when you add more kids. It's up to you to do that planning ahead of time. That is the best advice I have for somebody looking to buy a home is do not let the mortgage company determine what your the definition of affordability for you personally. My husband and I got approved for a loan amount that... Um, you know, he kind of started salivating to shop for that home. And I said, no, 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 no. They don't know that we want to have two children and still travel. And we'll be, you know, we'll have high costs for childcare. Um, and so we, you've got to really kind of um, be your own protector um, before you step into what will be, you know, if not the largest purchase decision you will make. So Karen, we've talked childcare, we've talked housing. We are moving on to an another very important topic of conversation and something that comes up all of the time for you and me. In fact, I have a client that asked me to call him today to discuss this topic, which is saving and planning for college. So talk to us about this. Yeah. So if we haven't scared you off from having children already with the chaos that it is and the amount of planning that goes into it, um, I can assure you that once your little bundle of joy arrives... 
Um, all of it will be worth it and you will want to give them the moon or at least a college education. Um, we will include a link, listeners will include a link in our show notes of, of the monthly savings required when baby is born to fully fund the cost of college. Um, spoiler alert, it's a lot. So just know that we want to validate new parents right now. Know that for many, many families, saving for college while still setting the parents up to, oh, I don't know, not work forever are competing financial priorities and it is financially hard to do well, okay? So um, if you have to choose between your retirement and saving for education, as many, many do, um, there are, keep in mind that there are plenty of ways to to pay for college. So you're, you're actually getting to the point to funding college. There are more options available um, than there are paying for retirement, right? So um, if you have to choose, we are we kind of sit in the position of of looking to kind of put your mask on first and funding your retirement and and any anything that's left, making that carve out for college. Um, we know that there are um, other feelings about that, and and that's perfectly fine. You you know, do what is best for you and your family. Um, for those that can and do want to jumpstart college savings, uh, we will include an, a link again in our show notes for saving through five twenty nine plans, and and just know that. If you want to be really proactive, you don't have to wait for baby to be born to begin savings, saving through certain college 529 plans. Um, it's because something that you can actually start ahead of time. So I think you made a very important point there and a very important consideration. And I'm with you on this when I talk to clients, which is if you have to choose between funding for your retirement and funding for education expenses. Our preference, our recommended recommendation almost always is to fund those retirement accounts first, because there are a number of ways to go about funding education. But the biggest mistake that we probably see across the board in this country for people who want to retire is they just flat out did not start saving for retirement soon enough. So soon enough. So um, put a lot of thought to that before you prioritize 529s over retirement savings could be right for you. But I think focusing on that retirement savings is probably a good first step. I had to get that little financial advisor plug in there uh, uh, before we move on. So Karen, I'm going to set you up here for a conversation around benefits. A very important topic when you're thinking about a new baby and something I have messed up personally at great personal expense, a story I will tell here in a minute. So let's start with a quick overview very quick, listeners, we're going to go very quickly here on this part uh, of state and federal benefits that are available to um, those out there that are planning to have kids. Yes. So um, something to, to kind of wrap your mind around is the um, the benefits available both from the potentially from your state, federal benefits and possibly employer benefits around having or adopting babies. So the period of time in which baby arrives. Um, first, know that the, there is federal protection of employment for up to 12 weeks for most employees. There are certain certain restrictions or eligibility requirements. We'll include a link in our show notes on what is the um, FMLA, the Federal Protection of Employment. But just know, listeners, that FMLA provides for job security, a period of time in which you can leave to take care of new baby uh, and return to your own job. It is not a paid benefit. Okay. Um, the state, so that's federal, your state may offer more period of time available 
um, to take off and still maintain job security. And few states provide paid benefits for eligible employees. Um, so a period of time in which you can not only take off for baby, but also get paid generally, um, income replacement of around 50% of what you make. So reduced income, but, um, you know, some income during the time that you're taking care of baby. Again, that certain states provide for those for those benefits. And of course, your employer in, you know, who is in the business of attracting and retaining great talent may also provide for even more time off and or paid benefits for a certain period of time around baby. So um, just kind of get your bearings on what is available um, payment and time-wise from the state and your employer before having baby. So Karen, another thing to think far in advance about is your employer benefits, as you just mentioned, and open enrollment, okay? There is a period of time in which you can change your benefits ahead of baby coming. And so you probably want to pay attention to this, although it's good to note that having a baby is a... um, Now, Karen, remind me of the the terminology here. It is a... Qualifying event. There it is. It is a qualifying event that allows you to change your insurance once baby comes. So you will have a chance once baby comes, but you may not have a chance for... you or your spouse when you're going to be in the hospital. So you you do because you'll change it after the baby is born. So you do want to make sure you've planned for this ahead of time, right? A consideration may be if you know you're going to have all of these free uh, baby being born expenses, doctor visits, things like this, testing, whatever you're going to do, you probably want to look at a plan that doesn't have a high deductible because you're likely uh, to have to pay a lot out of pocket before you're going to reach that deductible and you're likely to have a lot of expenses in that year, right? There's an example of why you just want to think ahead uh, when you're looking at insurance planning. Now, listeners, this is a very important consideration because I'm going to tell you a story that I messed up and it cost me personally a few thousand dollars. You do want to think ahead as to which spouse's insurance you're going to put your baby on when they are born. Whose insurance is going to cover those expenses? And here's where I went wrong. So my wife, when our first child, Kingston, was born, was a school teacher in the Scottsdale Unified District. Hence, we live in this area, to my earlier point about housing. And she had her own insurance, and I had my own insurance. And throughout her pregnancy with Kingston, she had all of these expenses that went towards her deductible on her personal insurance. But our plan um, was for her to stay home with Kingston when he was born, and which she has done. And she stayed home with Emmett as well. So she moved on to my insurance after Kingston was born. When we got to the hospital, Kingston was born at this really weird in-between time uh, because he was born in June after the school year, but before Kirsten's um, insurance lapsed through the school. And when we went to the hospital, we, it was, you know, two o'clock in the morning when we got there and we, our adrenaline was rushing and we were nervous and these things. And they said, well, whose insurance are we putting the baby on? And I did not put any thought to the fact that I had not come anywhere close to meeting my deductible. Kirsten had already met her deductible and we could have put Kingston on her insurance. I was already thinking too far in advance that he would end up on my insurance because Kirsten was going to stop working, not going to have insurance, and everybody was going to be on my insurance. So I said, oh, he's going to be on my insurance. Hmm. Well, that ended up costing me about $3,000 because I had not met anywhere near my deductible. Kirsten had already met hers. And if we had just put him on her insurance for a short period of time, all of those expenses would have likely been covered or the majority of them. Two points I'll make. First, thank you for sharing. Nothing better than saving money by way of learning from someone else's mistake. So Kobe, 
thank you. Please know that that was for the greater good. Yeah, thank and you. Too, I hope that helps. And the second is that um, this, I, I'm listeners. I'm not sure if this is a state specific. I don't believe that it is, but just know that generally. It was like this for me, all the costs associated to baby. So when mom and baby are in hospital, there are charges associated to each, okay? Um, All of the costs associated to baby specifically will be billed to mother's insurance. They were, it was all billed to my insurance, but then retroactively rebuilt and paid by the plan we chose. So Kobe, in your example, um, Kingston's initial costs may have flowed through to uh, Kirsten's specifically, but then um, eventually got billed through to yours. So just know that's a weird kind of nuance. Don't be concerned if they're, if, don't freak out if they say we're putting it on mom's insurance. That's generally, it follows mom initially because they've got to find, you know, until the desired insurance is, is chosen. I think it's like a period of a certain number of days and then they just fix it all. And they, listen, this might be your time, but it is not their first time and it will get sorted. Just remember that. Very good point. Something I wish you would have told me about three years ago, uh, it would probably save me $3,000. I don't think I'm allowed to deduct that $3,000 by saying it was a business expense because I made this error so I could teach a lesson on the podcast. I don't think they're going to go for that. Uh, but probably uh, not. Yeah. I hope it saves somebody else out there a, a good bundle of money. So one more topic to talk about here on the insurance standpoint is that your employer may or may not offer some kind of benefits, okay, for let's say maternity leave or maternity and paternity leave. And even if they do, you still may want to consider disability, long-term disability. This is a way to get some compensation while you're away taking care of your newborn. So um, just remember, if you're a working mom and maybe your benefits are limited from an employer standpoint, you may want to consider, you may at least want to look into long-term disability insurance. Yeah, Uh, it was a decision that we made. Long-term disability is very inexpensive for employers that offer it as like a group benefit. You can enroll in long-term disability around the time you think you're going to have a baby. In the event you need to stay out of work for a period longer than any paid benefits may provide, um, again, this is a benefit that will kick in to provide income replacement. Again, around 50% of of income replacement um, during the needed time, that extra time you may need. So Karen, what's our next topic? Well, let's lighten things up a bit on some, let's step out of things to think about around employment and insurance and, you know, on none of that real fun, responsible, but not so fun stuff. And let's talk about a decision parents have to make before having baby, which is what are you going to register for? So I want to personally take this opportunity to let listeners know to lean in to letting your loved ones spoil you with big necessities. Okay. So Register for items like a crib and a stroller, maybe multiple car seats, that baby rocker, those big ticket items, your loved ones will want to and will shower you with those items. Also keep in mind how much room those items take up and if you have a big enough car and house for them, back to our earlier points. But this is important. Keep with the essentials. You know, our best financial advisors is keep with the essentials when registry planning and only start with a few, okay? Remember, Every baby is different and babies can take up a lot of space in a short amount of time. So uh, what your cousin's best friend's baby loved means nothing to the reality of what your baby may feel, okay? So don't register for 10 bottles of the same kind. Your baby may not take to that bottle, okay? Don't register for the bottle warmer. 
Don't register for the bottle warmer. Your baby may be just fine with cooler milk or formula, and it will benefit you as parents to not have to go through an extra step of heating that up. So see if baby needs a bottle warmer and then consider a bottle warmer. So for this reason, gift cards are a great registry idea. So you can get the thing that babies really need, um, you know, when he or she is able to let you know what that is. And still, don't get too many unless you know the baby really does like it. Because babies like to tell you something they think they want and then they don't want it. Actually, kids in general like to do that. So um, keep it to the essentials. Um, go ahead and ask for those big, big items um, for part of the shower. And uh, less is more, in my in our, my opinion, our opinion. Kobe, do you agree? In our opinion, I'm (laughs) smiling and nodding as you go through this because this is advice um, that is coming through from experience. And it is so accurate. Um, As an example, we we registered for and I bought as a gift for Kirsten even swaddles because that just I didn't know anything about babies. And that seemed like a cute early before Kingston was ever born gift. So I gave Kirsten a couple cute swaddles. Other people gave us swaddles, and these are the big cloth swaddles, right? Kind of like a big lightweight blanket you wrap your newborn in. And lo and behold, that we didn't end up using any of them because our sister-in-law gave us her used Ollie swaddles, which are these more elastic-y swaddles that have Velcro, and they're a godsend. And for listeners out there, if you want my most recommended item, look at Ollie swaddles. I think it's O-L-L-I-E. They are phenomenal. And uh, we never used any of those swaddles that we spent money on and got as gifts and didn't return, uh, those types of things. So this is experience speaking through, Karen. Listeners, we should note that this is not yet our segment on unsolicited parenting advice. But, you know, as as you can tell, we just can't help it. Parents can't help it. Uh, we do, at the end of the show, we'll give some additional advice, our best thinking there. Um, I will cross out the swaddle talk, Kobe, because we had that, I had that on my list for parenting advice. So you... Uh, it hit that one very well. I, I love that. I jumped ahead because, as you said, parents just can't help but give advice, right? So I'm, I, it, it was bursting out of me. Um, so, uh, Karen, I'm sorry I stole your piece of advice. But listeners, it's a good piece of advice. And, advice, and let's give Karen credit for that one because uh, it is very important advice. <laughs> okay. So, listeners, you've had a baby. Baby is here. You're settling in-ish. And your parents... Uh, we're going to just conclude before baby advice. So this will be the last segment for those of you that don't want the parenting advice. You can jump off after this, but don't go away yet. Our financial considerations for parenthood will sum up in two things, tax things and protecting your loved ones. Very simple. Don't forget about tax and don't forget to protect your loved ones. So tax things. Be sure your CPA, your accountant, whomever does your taxes knows that you had a kid in the year. Even if that child was born on December 31st, you had a kid in the year. So you don't miss out on any tax breaks associated with having children. Um, A few that come to mind that you may or may not be eligible for include the earned income tax credit, child tax credit, child and dependent care credit. Um, And if you do your own taxes, just be sure to understand that these credits are available. Um, And credits, for those that don't know, are just a way to reduce the amount of tax you pay, very simply put. So tax savings associated with having babies, yay. Uh, The other that I'll mention kind of goes back a little bit to a decision that you would make with your employer, although you do not have to make it before baby comes. So you do not have to make this decision during open enrollment. It is something that you can do following baby and is rather done better following baby. And once you understand what your childcare resources are going to be. So if your employer offers one, 
And again, your child care arrangements are appropriate, which we'll talk about. Consider saving for child care expenses, so care for the child, through a dependent care flexible spending account. So again, through a dependent care flexible spending account or FSA. This is an excellent way to get a tax deduction for expenses you are already planning to have to pay um, for child care costs. Okay. So effectively, the way a dependent care FSA works is um, you can take up to $5,000 per year from your paycheck and put it in a special savings account to be held by your employer on your behalf. Okay. That $5,000 comes out of your paycheck on a pre-tax basis. Okay. As you incur these childcare expenses, you simply file a claim for reimbursement from the savings account. So the way, the reason I say through a dependent care flexible spending account is because you're basically just pushing the same dollars through a savings account that makes them um, not subject to tax. It's like this magical tax savings account. Um, and on the other side, you pay for childcare. Um, as an example, if you find yourself that the financial benefit to this is, is as follows. If you find yourself in a 25% tax bracket and you put $5,000 in a dependent care FSA, that's a 25% discount you get on those costs, right? Because you saved 25% on tax. So that $5,000 is actually going to only feel like $3,700 and change, right? So it's just, it's, um, and it's again, it's up to $5,000, um, which again, most child care costs that you pay are going to be more than, than $5,000. But one thing to note here is that when you request reimbursement, you will be reporting the tax ID of the care provider, right? And so the child care facility or the in-home nanny that you have on payroll um, will provide you with their social or their tax ID that will then, um, it all gets kind of reported to the IRS. So if you've got mom and dad, you know, grandma and grandpa pay, caring for baby and you're you know, hoping to um, pay them, a, a, you know, outside of hugs with some some cash, just know that um, the dependent care FSA is probably not going to be the appropriate route if they are not a formal employee of yours or a care provider like a, a daycare. And as we established earlier in this episode, it seems the threshold is five children before grandparents no longer accept hugs and probably are going to require cold, hard cash. So five Correct. kids you may have to pivot from hugs to cash. I have not thought about trying to pay my mother-in-law, but we 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 haven't we haven't thought about that. Um but you did bring up a question that might arise, maybe we didn't clarify um is that the 5000 limit to dependent care FSA is a family household limit, right? So it's not a per child limit. So if you have 10 kids, $5000 is the limit. If you have one kid, $5000 is the limit. So Karen, the other topic that's very important to discuss here would be um, protection planning, as you mentioned. And when we say protection planning, what we're talking about there is, actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say twofold. We're talking insurance, okay? That's um, maybe a little bit more active protection. And then we're also gonna talk estate planning, okay? And we're gonna talk about both of these briefly, listeners. So from an insurance standpoint, I get a lot of questions around um, life insurance. When is it important to have life insurance? What's it really for, Kobe, these types of things? Specifically for parents, what I would consider is, Let's say you rely on one or both incomes. If something was to happen, um, how would you replace that income so that um, your kids could continue to be cared in the way that they're currently being cared for? As an example, in my household, the way we have it structured is that right now, 
I'm full-time employed and Kirsten is staying home with the children. Uh, and so um, if something was to happen to me, our goal as a family would be for Kirsten to be able to stay at home with the kids until they are of sufficient age. And then she could go back to work if she wanted to. But that scenario makes it so that I carry life insurance, okay? Because that is there to replace my income if something was to happen to me so that my family would not have to make terrible adjustments in a really terrible time. Kobe. So as so makes perfect sense as as the working parent, you've got income replacement by way of life insurance. What about for Kirsten who stays home? This is such a good question and one I was almost fearful you would ask because it leads to a guilty admission by me. Um, here is a very important point, listeners. It is very important to consider that the non-working spouse may also want or need to carry insurance um, for a number of reasons, one of them being that um, if something was to happen to the non-working spouse that's maybe staying home with the children, um, and now the working spouse would need to bring in care and also would have a, a obviously a period of mourning and grieving where maybe even they aren't able to work. Well, then that insurance becomes very important. So you do need to think about both sides of this coin. However, as of right now, Kirsten does not have insurance and it is something that we need to talk about. So um, this is a good public admission of an oversight for me as an advisor and then for my family when it comes to insurance planning. So we need to get on top of it. You're like the chef that eats pizza, right? You you uh, recommend uh, to your clients, and then we just one of those things we forget to do for ourselves. It, it happens a lot. You're forgiven, and we understand, Kobe. Thank, thank you, you for handed. Yeah, thank you. Um, if I am not forgiven, please send me a message letting me know I'm not forgiven to info at get the sense. But I'm going to just assume that I'm forgiven. But we do need to get on top of it. You're very much very right. Like a chef, professional chef who eats frozen pizza at night, right? You're you're busy helping other people. You forget to make yourself a nice meal. So uh, you're exactly right. The last quick point we'll make on life insurance is that uh, there's likely a, a certain amount of life insurance available through your employer for those parents that work away from the home um, or, you know, with an employer. There's probably some uh, amount available that the employer pays for. So, you know, maybe a small amount of like $50,000 or something of insurance. Um, and you have an option to secure more coverage. Most employers provide options to secure more life insurance through employment that you then pay for. Um, and we would just have you consider if that makes the most sense. It's generally not um, portable at the same level, meaning if you leave that employer, you're probably going to have to you know, get a new policy through your new employer and so forth. It might make more sense just to buy insurance outside of your employer for the amount you need, um, for, the, for the true amount that you need. So something, something to think about. And the last thing in terms of protecting our loved ones is making sure that you have an estate plan in place if for no other reason to name the guardians of your children in the event something were to happen to mom and dad to parents. So who would you like to care for your children um, in that scenario? So there are other re very important reasons to have an estate plan in place. We'll include a link in our show notes to the top, um, you know, the, the key primary estate planning documents, but that is the way through which you will do it is through a living will, which will name guardians for your children. So Karen, all of this leads to our final topic today listeners, and we're almost done with the show for today. But as parents, as financial advisors, probably, and as hosts of this podcast, we can't leave without giving um, a little bit of unsolicited parenting advice. 
And I already gave away a little bit of it, which is don't buy too many swaddles. But um, why don't you end the show here, Karen, or at least get the ending started by discussing your piece of unsolicited parenting advice for listeners? Only buy one. That is my advice. Less is more. So start, even if baby indicates that they need a different pacifier, don't buy a pack of 25 of that pacifier, right? Buy a pack of two. They probably won't come in a pack of one. Buy a pack of two and see if baby is really committed to that pacifier. Um, You already talked about swaddles. I completely agree with your point. You don't need 20. You don't even know if your baby's going to like being swaddled. Okay, so buy a few, see if you need more. And burp, same with burp cloths. As cute as it may be to have a drawer dedicated to burp cloths, you maybe need like seven. You don't need a hundred burp cloths. And shoes, shoes for babies are very cute. They are also overrated. They will not wear them. In fact, there will be a period of time where they just pop off their feet like magic, no matter what you try to do to keep them on. Newborn baby shoes are a little overrated. They grow out of them so fast. So the cost as a percentage of amount of enjoyment is so little, I would say. Skip the shoes for as long as you can. The shoes is such great advice because I have a good friend whose first baby had a closet of shoes that was probably more valuable than my own. And I don't have that much shoes, but, you know, Nikes and all sorts of different types of shoes. And I don't know if he ever wore them and they were cute. They were to die for cute. But um, I'm, I'm not, I guess maybe you could turn them into like a Christmas tree ornament or something in the future. I guess that's all you could do with them. I don't know what you do with $40 baby Nikes once the kid never wore them, right? So don't buy those. Uh, as financial advisors, please just don't buy those. And um, burp claws is a great point. You only ever need burp cloths for your first child because on the second child, you don't even bother. You just decide that your T-shirt is the burp cloth because you're tired of getting burp cloths all the time. So burp cloths are only ever used for the first child anyways. But the second one, you're like, this is this is my burp shirt. I just, and it's whatever you're wearing, right? So you don't need to worry about uh, having a drawer full of burp cloths because that's where they will live because you will just give up trying to, because of course you'll burp the baby over the burp cloth for. 30 minutes, they won't burp. And as soon as you turn them around to hand them to somebody, they'll burp all over that person. So you, you, burp claws are just not needed. Uh, I completely agree. So here is my piece of unsolicited parenting advice. Um, and this is one that I give out to everybody, unsolicited, but I think it's important. Okay. Um, if you're going to do a gender reveal, which we can have a whole conversation about that. Uh, folks, please stop lighting the forest on fire with gender reveal parties. I don't know if people realize this, but there's been several major wildfires that have been sparked because we have taken gender reveals to a whole different level, right? You you probably don't need a hot air balloon, a flamethrower, and, you know, um, caviar to announce your baby's gender. <laughs> but that's a conversation and a rant for another time. Uh, but if you are going to do a baby gender reveal, do not do that reveal and do not tell anybody the gender of your baby until after your baby shower. Because this is my advice. Because if you do, every single person will come to that baby shower with some kind of cute onesie that the kid will only fit in for a week, okay? It'll say things like just did nine months on the inside and daddy's little pitcher and these types of things, right? They'll be cute, but you will not get any use out of them. And that will be all of your gifts. But if you do not reveal until after the baby's either born or at least until after the baby shower what the gender is, well, then people will buy you things you actually need. 
diapers, changing pads or stations, um, uh, diaper genies, right? These types of things. They'll go, well, we can't buy onesies because we're not sure. So let's just get them diapers and you'll be so thankful. And so they may get you birth cloths as well. And as we just discussed, uh, those aren't that necessary, but um, that is why do not re reveal the gender until at least after your baby shower. That's my advice. I never would have thought of that. Having a baby shower and pre-gender reveal, but that makes a just a great amount of sense because you're absolutely, everyone wants to buy cute things for baby. And the more they know about baby, the more they think they know what baby's going to want to wear. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it, it will help your loved ones stay maybe a little more focused and targeted on the things that you actually need instead of a bunch of items that the baby can't possibly wear in such a short amount of time. There you have it. An episode all about babies. Karen, any final points to wrap us up? You know, we asked our, our team across the nation on what their best parenting advice is, their best financial parenting advice is. And I think we could sum, we got a lot of feedback. I think we could probably sum it up in the best advice my parent gave to me about money was don't spend more than you make. <laughs> Very simple, to the point. There you have it. Just plain good advice. And I think we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for listening. Again, if you have questions or episode ideas, info at getthesense.com. And we look forward to chatting with you again soon. So long. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Get The Sense and online at beaconpoint.com. That's point with an E. Be sure to check back regularly for new episodes. Until next time, keep your dollars and we'll keep our cents. Important disclosure. This recording is for informational purposes only. Opinions expressed herein are subject to change without notice. Beacon Point has exercised all reasonable professional care in preparing this information. Any information that has been obtained from third-party sources is believed to be reliable. However, Beacon Point has not independently verified or attested to the accuracy or authenticity of the information. Nothing contained herein should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, or tax advice, nor should it be relied upon as personalized investment advice or be considered as an individualized recommendation, offer, or solicitation. All investments involve risks, including the loss of principal. Investors should consult with their financial professional before making any investment decisions. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results.